0: have to kind of be willing to let life be life and also career-wise understand that the universe is abundant and there will be more jobs there's always more jobs
1: hello and thank you for joining me on another episode of the podcast i hope you're doing well for me it has been a uh, rehearsal time we're nearing the end and so we're starting to run the show over and over again just getting it in our bodies, still working on some of the characterizations. And for me, there's still a few speeches that are still being paraphrased a bit too much. But we're kind of in that in-between phase right now. We've gone through all the blocking. I pretty much know all my lines and uh, and the music's coming along. I mean, the show is in a great shape right now. But it's, it's kind of the two steps forward, three steps back where it's some scenes are are really spot on and and I really feel like I'm connecting in others or it's a bit more of a struggle and I'm still trying to kind of find my way through them. And that's when that little voice, that little critic inside uh, of us that, that likes to throw some doubts and fears our way and kind of get, you know, put some roadblocks in the way of our performance. And I think that's something that each of us in our own way deal with that little something. Mm -hmm. And Today's guest, Brett Shuford, is someone who's dealt with that in his own career, and as a life coach, he also deals with that with his clients. Now, as I mentioned, Brett is a Broadway performer. He's been in eight Broadway shows, in fact, including Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, and most recently, Paramore. Now, later on this season, I'll be talking to the lyricist from Paramore, Jenny Stafford, so stay tuned for that episode coming out later in the season. But besides being a performer, Brett also is a director. He has produced video and content on YouTube. He has a brand, Broadway Husbands, that he does with his partner, Stephen, And he has Broadway Life Coach, where he has clients and people like myself who have a lot of questions and just need a little bit of guidance along the way. So he is someone who stays very busy, and I'm very grateful that he took time out to talk with me today about not only his career, but also those highs and lows that we all go through. And after the conversation, I'll be back with a few final thoughts of my own. But for now, here's Brett Shuford, Broadway actor and life coach. So you have had a, kind of a wide and varied career going from actor, singer, dancer, to uh, directing, to life coaching. In that process of going through one to the other, what would you say were like those pivotal
0: moments that said, you know what, I'm ready for this next step? Mm. I, I mean, I've just always been a curious person. And I think, you know, I, when I accomplish something, it's always my first, my first question is, okay, now what? how can I help somebody? How can I be of service to somebody? For me, the big pivotal moment for me was getting sober. And when I got sober and went into recovery and started that process and learning a lot about myself and and helping others, uh, you know, I realized I had a lot to to offer as a as a human being outside of my skill set uh, of being an actor
1: yeah. Yeah. how long did you did you battle alcoholism before you kind of came to that pivotal moment of wanting to
0: fix it? I was very young when I got sober. I got sober at twenty six mm. uh, but you know I, I again i I always had this feeling in myself that I wasn't meeting my potential wasn't my potential that kept coming up. Like, I know I'm capable of like doing more. Why can't I do it? What's what's going on? And, and so I just started to kind of eliminating the things that just weren't serving me. And that was that was the big one. Yeah. Uh, And when I did was it was ironic. I don't think I don't think it's the reason but I think there was no coincidence that I booked my first Broadway show three months after I got sober.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so a direct correlation between
0: the two, almost. I kind of went, oh, okay, maybe this is the right thing to do. <laughs> you know, I'm going to stick to this for a little while. <laughs> because how would you say the alcoholism was getting in the way? I had, you know, I would miss auditions. I would, um, it was an easy excuse. And I also had this general opinion, which I think a lot of people do in the business that That this business is social. And so if I'm not drinking, if I'm not going out and hanging out with people, I'm not networking, I'm not making friends, and I'm not moving my career forward. I think there's a lot of justification from people around that. And I had definitely had that fear, oh my God, if I stop drinking, there goes my career. And then the opposite happened. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that, that's so interesting how that works. We we as actors, we have all these suppositions in our brain of, well, I need to be doing this. I got to do this. I got, you know, we're, we're thinking what other people need us to be doing in order to make it. And we kind of forget that we're
0: the central ingredient that we need to focus on ourselves. Yeah, and I think personal care and, you know, it's not necessarily taught to us in college when you're going getting your BFA. It's like all they teach you is to get to class. on You know, like there's just a lot of, of life tools that I was not gifted. And I wanted to find those things. I wanted to find a way to, like I said, meet my potential. And the minute I got sober, it opened up a whole new floodgate of possibilities, a network of people. I became more capable one day at a time because I wasn't trying to get to some thing way down the end of the line. I was just trying to get through today and and like myself by the end of the day. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean th- that is one important part of the the so- sobriety journey is to re- you really start looking inward and like what do I need to do for me? How do I take better care of myself? And I think that's such I mean as a person just in life no matter who you are, but especially as actors, I think we forget how much self-care we need because you know it, this is a rejection-filled business. So there's there's a lot up against us, and we have to really have our minds and our hearts, especially in gear, so that we can take that day after day.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things I say quite often is, no one's going to do it for you, no one's going to take care of you, but that also doesn't mean you have to do it alone. And so there's a lot of, I mean, that's where the you know I wanted to be a coach. I wanted to be somebody that could help someone who's feeling alone get through, especially the journey of being an actor because it can be very isolating at times. And um, I also wanted to, you know, find my own community of people as well. And speaking of finding a community, one of your,
1: I guess, through lines of your career has been Disney. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been the same for me doing Disney World and Tokyo Disney, Disney cruise ships. And then, you know, I've, I've done Beauty and the Beast. So we we share that in common and what has disney meant to you and your career cuz you you were kind of a a disney geek to begin with anyway you love disney <laughs>
0: yeah it's kind of ridiculous i'm 40 now and i'm still like wearing mickey shirts but i am a huge disney nerd and i think you know part of it growing up is i think uh, there's a lot of gay kids that identify with the disney story cuz it's always the main character is an outcast who finds their way in. I think I also had a brother who's autistic and I think I always champion the underdog story. Mm. Um, so I've always had a thing for Disney. And then of course Pretty Colors and awesome music and Sherman Brothers and all that. My first Broadway show was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Mm. and I got to work with Richard Sherman and 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 his brother. And when I the minute I got to be in a, a room with him, I just cornered him and just said, "Tell me every Walt Disney story you got. <laughs> like, tell me everything." Yeah, th- yeah, because I've seen some of those
1: documentaries and and the work that they did with Walt Disney himself. It, it's kind of a wild journey that they were on themselves. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But that must have yeah. been quite a, a thrill for you to to meet a, a living icon like that.
0: Yes. And then right from that, my second Broadway show was Beauty and the Beast. So I I found my niche. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, and, you know, I had seen Beauty and the Beast on Broadway when I was in high school on a trip from Texas. And there were some moments in that, too, where you know there were these full circle moments. The girl playing Belle, when I saw it at 15, came in as Belle when I was started performing and it was like this full circle moment at Sarah Uriardi Berry. And I was like, this is crazy. This is like God telling me you're in the right place. You know, it was a really cool moment.
1: Yeah. And what is it like working for Disney?
0: What I love about Tom Schumacher and what, and Disney theatrical is there's a huge amount of loyalty where I don't necessarily see that in other parts of the commercial theater world, at least. And, you know, he, supports the people who work for him. And as many, like when I ran a marathon for charity, he donated a huge amount of money to my charity donation. Like he, and, you know, and who am I? You know what I mean? Like I'm not of all the people he's worked with, you know, but he's just, he's created a really cool, I think, loyal environment among being part of a corporate entity, which there's just some things that come with that, that people don't like. And that I understand why people don't like the corporate, Part of things, but that is what it is as a business, as a corporation. And I think he's really done a great job of creating a community and a, and a family within those restraints, constraints. Yeah, yeah, because as you said, Disney. Is much more than just
1: what you see on stage they they're also a, a brand people see those mickey ears they know exactly what that is and and right. that carries with it responsibility it carries with it a brand an image and so yeah. everything they do has to kind of fall into that line i will say that working like at disney world at the theme parks the management structure definitely fell more in line to a business corporate meetings and kind of do this paperwork and that it felt much more corporate than going to some regional theater in St. Louis and doing a show.
0: Yeah, I mean, the big difference working for Disney on Broadway between, like, the cruise ships and the theme parks is that you're hired through equity. So there's a lot of things they can't really force you to do. So you're you're an independent contractor as far as Broadway goes, where I know people on the cruise ships, like, you can't leave your cabin without a certain... You have to wear your pin and your thing and your hat and your... Uh, you know, so... Um, you know, I, you're not as restricted, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there's definitely a lot of duties when it comes to like being on the cruise ship right. that some of the performers had to do. Like some of them would have to work the lines of, of people wanting to get their picture taken with Jiminy Cricket or whoever. So, <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of like very smiley and take care of the customer and make every yeah. guest happy and all that kind of thing. Do you have a great performance memory or something among Little Mermaid or Beauty and the Beast or any of the others that
0: you did that really stuck out? Beauty and the Beast, when I got to go on for Lumiere the first time, was a really amazing moment. It was the first time playing a lead on in a Broadway show. And I I love watching you because all of a sudden your hands went up Yeah. And <laughs> the candles. He's like, I did. I'm remembering how to like flick the things and turn the gas on. <laughs> um, I would have done that show for years. I understood why people did that show for so long. It was really a really wonderful show. And, um, I guess one of the cool moments with Little Mermaid for me, I was on as Prince Eric. I went on for Prince Eric a few times and I got to meet certain celebrities like John Travolta saw me play Prince Eric and Heidi Klum. But the coolest thing was when um, Roy Disney, Walt Disney's nephew came Wow! and I got to meet him and I got to tell him, I was like, your uncle just, is my inspiration. And I get to tell him this kind of gloat and like, I just loved him. And I said, would you mind signing something for me? And he said, sure. So he signed this DVD. I have this, he created this archive collection and I have the whole collection of course. And he signed it for me and he sent me a card and he, and the card is like, it was so wonderful to see you perform and it has his letterhead on it. I still have it. And and then he passed away like six months later. And I just, I getting to have that moment to be in a Disney show, to meet Roy Disney, who was really what saved Disney animation and Little Mermaid was at the helm of that, doing Little Mermaid on Broadway. That was like a really cool moment. Have
1: your own little bitty small speck of a part in in, in that timeline yeah. of history and getting to meet him and everything. Oh, that's that's really that great. Cool. And uh, and 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 speaking of of, of families, certainly relationships and, uh, and and that kind of thing are an important part of of our lives and can affect us as performers. You met uh, your husband, who is also a performer, correct? He's a dancer,
0: a ballet dancer. That's right. Yeah, Stephen was a, a principal dancer with New York City Ballet for years, and then left. You know, it's funny when we started dating. I was doing Beauty and the Beast, and I was like yeah i scored this dancer and he's at city he's at lincoln center <laughs> and he's not in the theater but he's in the arts and i thought i was like winning but then um billy elliott was casting and they were looking for their older billy and they hired him and i was like no you're, you're not supposed to come over to the theater you're supposed to stay over there <laughs> and, and, but he loved but this it. Is, this is my way this is me <laughs> you, you got the steady job <laughs> He um, he loved, he was like so marveled at the work ethic of theater people. It was really cool to watch him witness a different community, a different world from the ballet world. Because he was like, everyone's so grateful to be here. I was like, yeah, because they mm-hmm. weren't just handed these jobs and they were 17 you know, they worked really hard to get here. And that was a cool thing to see him. And then it helped me sort of feel gratitude for, for what, um, what we've got too in the theater world. But he liked it so much he stayed and he's done multiple Broadway shows since. Has there ever been like a a jealousy vibe that comes in with one working, one not working? And how does that work? I I don't know if it's jealousy. I think there's always those moments of, it helps motivate each other. So, okay, great, you're taken care of, now it's my turn. Now I gotta figure out how to, or you know, those moments happen. I mean, his skill set is so unique. It's so, I, I I could never do what he does the way he does it. And there's no jealousy, you know, in that sense. Well, oh, that's good. Yeah. And we very rarely even audition for the same projects. I think we've maybe in 12 years been together. I think we've auditioned twice for the same show. But so far you haven't worked together.
1: No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is there a show that you can envision that, that might be a good fit for both of your
0: skill sets? Trying to get a course line. I think that would be a good one for us. Yeah, that makes sense. He could be like a Zach. I could be a Greg or a you know, Bobby or something. But how does that work-life
1: balance with, with both, especially when you're both working, like how do you find time for each other?
0: Well, you have to prioritize it. It has to become a priority. Uh, I've turned down jobs early, especially early on in our relationship. I turned down callbacks because I was like, you know, if I get this, I think it puts our relationship in jeopardy and I'd rather prioritize our relationship right now Hmm. and you have to kind of be willing to not to let life be life and life on life's terms right and and also career-wise understand that the universe is abundant and there will be more jobs there's always more jobs and i think sometimes it's very easy for us as actors to get into a scarcity set well if i turn this down i'm never going to work again but it's just not true yeah yeah there was a, a
1: friend of mine who, who was kind of in the same situation. He was about to get married, and this callback and, and the, the timeline of it was going to conflict with him getting married, his wedding day. And so he, he turned down the callback. He had to you know send in an email. And the producer came back to him and said, absolutely, life is always more important. A show will come and go, but you need to take care of your life. And so it, it was great that the producer understood that priority that you were talking about.
0: Yeah, and not all producers are going to understand that. And that's not your producer. <laughs> that's just, don't work for those people. <laughs> you know, to me, it's like, I, I just think life is too short. And it's about these experiences. And so for us, work-life balance, it's it's tricky. You know, we have those down moments where we're not working and we're struggling for income and we're we're looking for all those other things to, to do that. Because it is a priority for us is to start a family. We really want to do that. But when you're working in the, the field we work in, it's not, the money isn't steady and it's very expensive for two men to have a baby. And so that's our new adventure. We're trying to find the challenges and, and work through them to to get there. And I believe we will. Um, but it's, it's never on our own timeline, right? right. <laughs> and, but, uh, you know, I think so much of this is about having faith trusting each other's vision, trusting each other in general, mm-hmm. and being able to say, you know, I, I support you. We just did this big move to Charleston, South Carolina, for the last nine months. And we were trying out another city just to see if we liked it. And we went away and we realized, nope, yeah, no, New York is it. Like, we, we <laughs> like New York. But it was something we had to work through together and sort of find a way to to explore new ideas and new dreams and be willing to fail and be willing to get back up together. I absolutely agree with that
1: because whenever I was on the, the Disney cruise line and it, it was just a three month job, but but those three months because you're on the ship and so much of your time is free, then you have a lot of, a lot of time to think, a lot of time to just be by yourself. And I got to thinking like, this is actually really nice. I'm being paid well. You know, I could kind of get into this cycle, this circle of the cruise line and do this contract and do another one. And and, and I got to, well, maybe I could just move to Florida. I mean, all of these different thoughts about, well, maybe New York isn't it, you know? So is that kind of what you and your husband started thinking that maybe New York isn't
0: it? Yeah, well, I think we're thinking, well, we've done this. Our new dream is to be dad's. We had this opportunity for... Uh, to partner with the school there, but then we got there, and we were like, "No, wait, the bar is not we we've been playing at a higher bar, and like the bar isn't there, and yeah, we could help raise it, but did we really want to like let 's just go back to where we where we know." We can work. We made more money in New York. I, it's so funny. People were like, oh, cost of living. And it's like, no, but no one wants to pay us interest. <laughs> <laughs> in New York, we actually made a living. And I think we wouldn't have known that if we hadn't tried. Like you said, we always said for years, what if, what if, what if we lived in the South or what if we lived somewhere else? And now we can say we tried it.
1: What was the, that final decision? Okay, this isn't working. We need to move back. What
0: kind of led you to it that? Was, exactly what i just said my accountant called and said why did you move to charleston you made so much more money in new york and i was like we're done we're going (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i mean there's personal like your own like i
1: want my heart to be happy but then there's also i want my bank account to be happy because money doesn't buy happiness but it's an easier path to get there sometimes you know it it, it
0: just yeah and it's just not even about happiness it's just about feeling secure And like, I, as an artist, I need to, I will always want to create. I will always want to be creating. That's just a part of who I am. And you can't create if you can't eat.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's true. If, if you're worried about where your next meal is coming from or your next rent payment, then you can't really think about the audition that you have to learn three songs for. Yeah.
0: I always say that to my clients, you can't win a Tony if you can't eat. So start, just start there.
1: Well, I well, I love that we're going to get you a Tony, but first we got to get you, you know, jobs. Get a sandwich, eating. Yeah, get a (laughs) sandwich. So, so when it comes to the life coaching that you do, what kind of questions do you ask, and what kind of
0: information or what kind of openness do your clients have to be ready to give? It usually starts with a client coming to me and saying, "I'm stuck. This is the thing I'm stuck on." Mm -hmm. So, I had a client the other day who's just feeling like her agent is not working for her and she wants to fire her agent okay let's talk about that relationship and what is that relationship well i only talk to my agent every three months <laughs> and they haven't got me any appointments for six weeks okay have you have you called them or you've seen them you know like then we had this conversation about relationships what is a relationship how do you you know not just romantic relationships but if you use a romantic relationship let's say we're using the agent metaphor i see this about auditions too you can't just like go on one date with somebody and expect them to marry you yeah that's just creepy right yeah yeah and and also with your agent if you're only reaching out to them when you need something when you want something then you're actually not building a relationship at all and in fact, they only see you as somebody who is needy. Right. It's more of
1: a transactional relationship and not, not a back and forth two-way street. So we have this conversation. What
0: do, how, do you, how would you nurture a relationship? Let's say you went on a date with somebody and they said, I like you. I want to go on a second date. What would you do? You know, she's like, well, I would follow up. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so you, you, if you hadn't heard from them a couple of days, say, hey, I had a wonderful time. It was great to meet you let's you know let's do this let's go on like, a second right so then so then she, it's like oh they're a human being <laughs> like so much of this is about understanding that these people are just human beings when we um we wear this we have this like filter around casting directors and agents that they' somehow hold this key yeah magical key to our future and if I figure out the right way to finagle them they'll give me the key and mm-hmm. then we forget oh wait they're just human beings doing a yeah. job and if i could just approach them as another human being then we might actually build a relationship over time and then i realized there was no key there is no key there's just human beings helping each other yeah, I mean I mean so much of this is a relationship and
1: and kind of getting to the heart of it because I've talked to to several casting directors and directors who they are looking as much at the person like do I want to work in a re- rehearsal setting? Do I want to go through tech with this person? You know, and and because yeah, so they're looking yeah. just as much at personality as can you hit the high note?
0: Yes. And I'm telling you, you know, I'm I'm directing a show we start rehearsals next week and we're in auditions and is you know people know the tea honey like people will spill the tea and a guy came in and i was like he's awesome and then somebody was like no you don't want to you don't want to work with him because he got caught stealing stuff backstage in his last show oof and you know and then you're like i'm so glad they told me that because i just saved 20 people from six weeks of misery <laughs> right you no know? yeah so you Really, I think it all starts, like I said, for me, it all started when I got sober and really understanding how to better myself. It all starts with the human being and how to be a human. One of the big things that I see commonly as a coach is I will have clients call me and say, I'm taking this workshop, I'm taking this class, I'm working with this voice teacher, I've gone to these auditions, I've been working out and I'm eating all these things and I'm doing Whole30. What, what else should I be doing? And you're like, have you just sat in the park? For like an hour, right, you thought about just doing nothing well, I can't I gotta get to this thing. It's like no, actually, you're forgetting that part of you that 's a human being, right, Have you walked by the the lakeside? Have you read a book? See a movie? Um, do something completely unrelated to show
1: business. Mm -hmm. I think that's a big one because I know myself, like when people ask me, so, so what else do you do? Like I go through the list of my daily activities and it all centers around something performing or audition or acting related.
0: Yeah. So it's so important that you specifically find something. What is the, a lot of times it's about going back in time. So some clients I say, what did you enjoy doing when you were 14? hmm well i love playing video games or i love coloring or i loved painting go guy go to michael's buy canvas get some paintbrushes spend a, two hours on sunday painting you're going to feel so much better about yourself mm-hmm. and then you're going to be able to go to an audition and when somebody says to you and this is the key element in building relationships somebody says to you what are you up to you don't just go i, I had a call back for wicked and i better blah, blah. you go <laughs> I just painted for two hours on Sunday and I hadn't painted since I was 14. It was so much fun. And the other person says to you, I love to paint. And then all of a sudden you've made a connection.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so important. Okay. So like being specific. So I'll, I'll, I'll take myself. I'm now, I'm now your client. So, yeah. All right, Brett, I have been in New York 11 years and, you know, Broadway was the goal but, you know, regional theater keeps taking me out. And then whenever I do do things in town, it's more like, you know, off, off Broadway or it's this little reading, you know, what, what, what am I missing? Why, why, why haven't I made that big leap yet?
0: Mm, you know? That's
1: a great question. What, what, why do you think you haven't made the big leap? I mean, for me, I, I've, you know, I, I guess as the actor, like whenever there's a, a blank space on stage and no one say anything, I think I've always missed my line. So in life, I always think that too. It's like, oh, if something's not happening, okay, I've, I've missed something. I haven't done something. So in this case, I tend to assume I'm not the best auditioner. So obviously something's wrong with how I'm auditioning. That's what I keep coming back to. So I will take an audition class or voice lessons or, you know, something to try to be more consistent with that.
0: Mm. And when you have an agent? Yes. Yes. Yes, and so when you're going through this process of I'm not I'm not doing enough, I got to maybe figure out anything. What do you notice happens because you you consistently work? So then, when does that dissipate? Uh, you know, I, I had about a, like six or seven
1: months between jobs, and so that was like a tough stretch. Mm-hmm. And and in that time, there was a few callbacks, but it's interesting because the last. Few months of auditions, I'm kind of getting that old sensation of of nervousness. Of there, there's always that little voice of, "Really, do you think you're going to make this?" You know. So there's that kind of, fe- but but I, I try to ignore that and just kind of deal with, okay, well, it's an it's a numbers game, so I just got to keep going to auditions. And but but there's that anxiety that has has started to come up more. Like it's almost like I'm not enjoying it anymore, which is a weird sensation. Like I know that when I'm. On stage, whenever I'm doing something I really like, then I'm there. But getting to that process, going through the, the auditions and hopefully callbacks, preparing for these music, learning these scenes, there's not the excitement or enjoyment of it.
0: So one of the things you said was like, I feel like you, you, you hear this like message in your head of, who do you think you are?
1: It's just that negative voice saying, oh, you're probably not going to get this. And you ignore it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, try, I try to just push that aside and be like, okay, well, so
0: what if you don't push it aside?
1: Well, well, then I might not go to that audition because it'd be like, yeah, you're right. Well, what if you just,
0: to just mm-hmm. listen to it? Just so what
1: does it say? Um, generally, that voice will say, well, yeah, but the last 17 auditions you went to, you didn't get a call back, so why is this one going to be any different? Mm. So why bother?
0: Right, right, exactly. Uh huh. When can you remember this is see if you, if you remember your earliest memory okay where you felt like why bother like I shouldn't even try
1: hmm i the very first thing that came to mind and it has nothing to do with performing whenever i was like a, a kid you know i i i had a great mother she was a single mother doing the best she could raising me on her own but there were times where I felt like I couldn't do anything right. And so I would just kind of placate to her and just, you know, I wouldn't try to step out or do anything. So I was just like, why should I fight this? Mm. Oh, okay, mom, what, what do you want
0: me to do? Great, I'll just do that. Mm. Yeah. Okay, good. That's so powerful to, to, to remember that. Because what we have here, okay, I call it gremlin, right? Yeah. And gremlins usually come from some part of our lives. When we needed protection. Mm-hmm. So this phrase uh, why bother? I should, I'm not going to do anything right. Was your way of not of still being able to help your mom without feeling ashamed of helping her. Right. I mean, I'm just interpreting yeah. this. Does yeah, that feel yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So what happens is we outgrow our gremlins, but our gremlins stay. They become, they're still trying to protect us. Hmm. Even though we don't need the protection. And what we end up doing is we end up trying to push them away, right? And what we do, what happens when you've got fear or nervousness and you're like, go away nervous. I shouldn't be nervous. I shouldn't be nervous. What happens? Well, then I get more nervous. If it... Yeah. You're trying to push this thing away and guess what it's doing? It just gets louder. Yeah. So what we have to do is actually stop and listen hmm. and look at it. Like almost personify it you know for some people for some clients i would suggest drawing it or i mean if that's their thing or maybe there's a person you can think of and you put them in a chair across from you and you look at them whoever represents that voice and you stop and you say thank you thank you for protecting me Mm -hmm. i hear you because what we all what we will do is we will let that voice drive the car and what we need to do is say, "I got this. I can drive the car, and you can get the back seat." I'm not saying leave the car, but you're no longer like I appreciate everything you do. So when that comes up, say, "I hear you." Acknowledge it.
1: Yeah. Can you do that? Yeah. So 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 it's more like when you know when when that audition comes up and the voice is saying, "You you haven't booked anything in two months. So so why why is this one going to be any different?" Then understand, you know what? You're right. I, I I haven't booked those, but I maybe there's a way that I can look back to audition and be like, but you know what? Th- that audition went really well. Maybe I wasn't right for that, but that audition went really well and and I feel good. I'm in a good voice. I'm healthy. And so it's a matter of timing and I just need to keep doing the
0: timing and and eventually this will come. So it's- Or it's what, if, what if it's more- those auditions don't matter anymore. All that matters is today and in this moment. Yeah. And in this moment, I'm good. In this moment, I feel great. In this moment, I feel solid. And in this moment, I don't need protection. So thank you for trying to keep me feeling safe, but I'm. this is my job, this is what I do. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna kick ass. Those 17 other jobs I didn't get don't matter anymore. It's done. It's done. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting as
1: as you were bringing that up, I, I remember from like when I was living in Florida and I had a dog, part of the dog training was when a dog starts barking to not shut them up, but to go with them, what are they barking at, to look at it, and then pet them be like, you try to keep us safe, thank you.
0: There's your dog, so
1: it's your dog.
0: <laughs> it's not a gremlin, it's your dog.
1: Right, it's my inner my inner dog woofing at me. <laughs> How does that feel? Does that feel like that's helpful? I do like that because it puts that, that voice that instead of being a nagging voice, instead of being this thing that I, that I hate hearing and pushing away, it, I think it's a, it's a better and I think more balanced way to, to acknowledge it. Yes, I hear you and understand why you're saying that, but here's what I'm going to do instead. Yeah, good. Yeah. I like that. Well, thank you. Thank you. See, Yeah.
0: I can't wait to see you on Broadway. Uh, You know, know, (laughs) the the other element, you know, it all starts there, right? It all starts with just understanding why my mind is doing this and why am I putting pressure on myself to get this Broadway show when I'm actually working constantly more than a lot of my friends or whatever. Right. But at some point you have to go, okay, what am I willing to sacrifice? Because there's always going to be some form of sacrifice. Um, and so the sacrifice is, if I wanna be on Broadway, I need to be in New York, and I need to find ways to immerse myself in that community. Aside from, and this is something I deal with co- clients a lot with is, aside from going to open calls and auditions, how do I become part of the community?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually one thing I wanted to get into because you've transitioned into directing, and that's another way for you to be a part of the community when you're not performing. How has that transition worked out for you, and how how do you feel as an artist directing as opposed to performing?
0: Uh, well, I'm dealing with my own gremlins around it. You know, I have a lot of um, I start rehearsals on Monday, so I'm having a lot of those like, oh, who do you think you are? You know. It is a Little Mermaid. I did do it on Broadway. I do know it. I think I'll be okay. But I, <laughs> um, what I love about it is I love being able to stay creative. The more I've created, especially like I have a YouTube channel and a lot of the videos I've created on there have been my where I started directing things and having an idea and then seeing it on its feet is one of the coolest feelings I've ever had as an adult. Mm. To actually like, Visualize something in my head and then see people who I trust and love Portray it on in front of other people is like it's one of the most rewarding things ever mm. So I'm excited about that And you know community wise, it, you know, it, it, the dream is you know, of course Like I'd love to be artistic director of something or I'd actually really love to be a show director for Disney Um, right. you know something like that, you know to be able to like hire my friends and work with my friends and work with people that I believe in because that's always what we wanted, right? Is just to have those people believing in us.
1: Yeah. Cause I, I think it's so important. And that, and that is one thing that over these 11 years that slowly, but surely besides the inner dog that's in me, there's, there's also that, that more inner soother that that's like, you know what, you're actually finding enjoyment doing this. And like this show, yes, it was in, st louis or wherever it was but you really enjoyed it and you had a great cast and you had some good friends come out of it so there's there's so much more than just well i i I need to be a lead on broadway there's there's so much more fulfillment to be had throughout the
0: day-to-day work you're doing a pot you've created this Mm -hmm. and it's doing amazing and you know not waiting for other people to give you permission is a huge asset and i think so many actors so many of us are waiting for permission, and you don't need permission. You don't need other people to come to you and cast you. You can produce your own work. You can create your own community by doing so. And things happen. The, the, and you may end up not getting a direct path to what you want. You'll get a roundabout path to what you want. And it'll ha- things will happen that were beyond your wildest dreams when you don't wait for other people to give you permission. Yeah, because it's not so much
1: what Broadway or whatever our goals are. It's not the thing. It's what it represents. And being on Broadway, it represents a fulfillment. It it represents working with great people. It represents my own growth as an artist. And so it represents all those things. And yes, Broadway is one way to achieve all of those ideals. But there's also many other ways
0: that I can be that person. Well, and for you, I would, you know, Broadway is not the end Broadway is just a stop along the way. Hmm. And if you already believe that it's happened and it's happening and it's going to happen, what would your choices be? How would you behave differently? Like, I know it's going to happen. You, you know, we can't be in this business for a short term. This is a long term business. You got to commit yourself that you, you have to vision yourself that you're going to be doing this for a while. Yeah. So if you vision, I'm going to be doing this for a while then part of that vision is along the way, I'm going to get a Broadway show. Right. So if I know that that's going to happen and I believe that it's going to happen, what choices would I be making differently today? I think that's such a great
1: way to look at it because Yes, if, if all you ever look at is Broadway and it's not happening, then my life is nothing. But if you look at, okay, Broadway's going to come, but I also want to direct. I also want to do a podcast. I also want to be doing commercials and TV film. I want So there's all these other avenues that, okay, once I get Broadway, I'm still going to pursue all those avenues. So why not keep pursuing them now? And Broadway yes. will come when it comes.
0: It will happen when it happens. And it's going to mm. You, I, I believe that. I believe that about you. I believe that about so many of the clients that I get. It's like it's because it's, if we put it, our success at the other end of something, then we've actually let our power go, hmm. right? Success lies in the actions you take, not the results you make. So true. Hmm. Right. So if you're taking action today towards that path and that goal, then you're successful. Believe me, I just, what, the reason I started coaching was when I got my first Broadway show and I realized I had magical thinking and I realized, oh, this is about money? Oh, this isn't about talent? This is about making back their $14 million? <laughs> right. I was
1: so disappointed. It's not some artistic, altruistic <laughs> vision of some
0: heavenly theater. It's... <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, now what? You know, yeah. and so that's when that's what I hope to prevent other people from feeling is 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 uh, resentment when they get there. You know, I think so many of us have that magical thinking and it drives us the fear if I don't get there. I'm a, and then you get there and you realize, oh, this is just a career job. This is just a show. It could close tomorrow. Well, now what do I do? And then we get people in casts for 10 years who become bitter because they never move. You know, I want to eliminate so much of that. And help people find fulfillment, no matter what they're doing, and understand that like Broadway is just like this thing along the way from your own fulfillment. It's huh. that's such a great way
1: to look at it, uh, Brett. This has been what's well, certainly been eye-opening for me, and I, and I'm sure Good. many of you listening are are getting the same impact out of it. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you.
0: Well, I have one thing for your listeners. They can okay, go. I have a free. If you go to balanceonBroadway.com, it's a free five-day challenge you can take. It conquers different aspects of your life, and it's totally free, guided by me. So if you go to balanceonbroadway.com, you can join the five-day Balance on Broadway Challenge. I love it. I love it. I I will be taking that challenge. I accept. Okay, good. Good. (laughs) Thank you so much, Brett. Thank you.
1: In most of the conversations that I have with guests, it's, them opening up and really sharing a deep and personal side of themselves. But in this episode, Brett really got me thinking about my own hang-ups and the things that hold me back, the, the inner voice or that gremlin that he called it. And I wrote about this a little while ago in the blog about silencing that inner critic, and I had my own thoughts about it then. But it's interesting now having talked to Brett, how I view that inner voice a little differently. I saw it as something to silence, something to put away, something to eventually get rid of. But he really made me look at it in a different way of using that voice. It's kind of a reminder that we do need to protect ourselves. We do need to look after ourselves and make sure that we're not doing things that make us unhappy or that make us uh, tense and angry. And so it, that voice is there to, in its own way, to kind of keep us from going in a wrong direction. However, it can elicit the fears and the doubts and the frustrations that uh, Brett and I talked about. And so it's important to not silence it so much as hear it, acknowledge it, and then let it know that we have something else in mind, that we have another plan in place to deal with what that little gremlin is trying to warn us about. And that's why I think it's so important that we do have a plan in place, that we do have a way to see the future that we want and realize that it's going to change. It's going to go down this path and that path that we may not have seen. And that's okay. We don't have to go down one singular path, and if we don't do that one, then we failed. No, there are many paths, as he said, it's going to come, when it comes, it'll come. I hope that you got that same spark of realization that I did, in that I have so many things that I want to do, that this one singular goal of mine isn't the end-all be-all, I just know that it's there, place it in my future, and it will come as I work toward it. But in the meantime, I can still focus on and still find enjoyment and happiness and pleasure and challenge in other areas of my life. And so as I said in the conversation, I hope you'll join me in taking that five-day challenge that Brett talked about on his website. Later this month, I'll share my thoughts and impressions of that five-day challenge and what I learned from it. And you can also share your own thoughts and lessons that you learned with me via email at why I'll never make it at com, Or you can go to the website contact.winmepodcast.com and get in touch with me there. One of the great things that you can do on the website is you can leave a 90-second voice message. And that voice message is a way for you to ask a question or leave a comment that I can address and answer here on the podcast. Once again, I give a big thank you to Brett for joining me on the podcast today. And of course, for you for being here and listening all the way to the end. It is listeners and supporters like you that make doing this podcast such a thrill and such an honor. So I'm so glad that you're here with me each and every week listening to these wonderful guests share their insights. Until next week, remember, the reasons for not making it may seem arbitrary and frustrating, but... The reasons to keep on going are even more numerous and rewarding. I'm Patrick Oliver Jones, and I'll see you next time on Why I'll Never Make It.